Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with AMB, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. Bill Landis joined, as always, by Ari Wasserman. Ari, I'm having a difficult time contextualizing results in college football this year. And I think it's mostly like the umbrella of COVID that hangs over everything and is disrupting rhythms. And I, I think I just want to like, I'm more willing to give teams a pass sometimes for what looks like substandard performance or like odd results, even if they're not technically losses. But then that makes it difficult for me to like figure out what's real and what's not. So we're sitting here on a Sunday evening after Ohio State like messes around with Rutgers a little bit and is never really in jeopardy of losing. But I think there are more than a few Ohio State fans who are worried about what happened on Saturday night tells us about Ohio State's standing nationally. And I want you to like talk me through this a little bit because I, I, I am I am not come off my stance at all that I think Ohio state is very much capable of winning a national title. And I think at this point I I might still pick them to win it. Um, Am I wrong? Should I be more worried? Is what's happening around the country weird to you? Like, where do you stay? Like, and and in the big 10 too, the big 10 is a mess. Like, where do you stand with all this as you try to put all the pieces together and figure out where where the Buckeyes sit? You think I know what the hell's going on out here? (laughs) I don't know, man. I I just, I need, I need someone to talk me through it. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I felt coming into the weekend, and if you listen to our podcast previewing the games this weekend, I made the the point that it was the toughest schedule of games to try to pick and to try to like sift through. I thought we were going to find out a lot about the Big Ten uh, based on who won some of these games, and Maybe we did. I think we did. I don't know. I, I don't know. And you know the, what happened to uh, Georgia was an odd loss. <laughs> Not just that they lost, but that they got their butts kicked. Um, Clemson losing, uh, I think, is a little bit more reasonable of an expe- uh, reasonable result for what you would have expected. But even so, Notre Dame stacking up athletically, I thought was surprising, mm-hmm. and it made me wonder like how good is Clemson? And I don't know if we want to play that game because Trevor Lawrence was out, and they had a few key defensive players who weren't playing. But you know, I think DJ. 
and I'm not even going to pronounce his last name until I'm p- positive how to pronounce it. Can I say threw it? for more passing yards than anybody ever has against Notre Dame. So the offense wasn't the issue. And I'm just trying to think like as we sit here and we eventually bleed this conversation into whether or not we're concerned about Ohio State long term. Look around the country. Everybody sucks. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody's good or everybody <laughs> sucks. College football. Everybody sucks. You know, and you know, I think that Ohio State can be scored on, but so can Alabama, and so clearly can Clemson, who gave up 47 points. And granted, some of those were in overtime, but it happened. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly where we are with things and how to contextualize Ohio State's latest win over um, some of the things that happened. It's kind of confusing, and I still kind of feel like the – I don't know if it's COVID or if it's just a weird season. It's probably because of COVID and no spring football and players missing and all the stuff that's going on, but – some of the results in these games is so surprising to me. And, you know, if if these were the three results for Ohio State's games in a regular year, I think that these would be normal, like, non-shocking results. But when you start lifting the veil on some of these results, Bill, I don't even know what to think about Penn State anymore after they got blown out by Maryland. And it's yeah. like that was supposed to be a hard-fought road win over their toughest opponent – and that team lost 35-7 to to Maryland. And now Ohio State's going on the road to Maryland. It's like, is Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana the toughest three-game stretch of Ohio State's 2020 football schedule? Because right now, with all the information that we have, it seems like it. And I'm not yeah. even trying to be funny. No, I think... These teams are kicking the crap out of the teams Ohio State has to play next. There is, there is a thing that is happening... I think across the country, and it's anecdotal, I suppose, because I haven't, I have not watched every game. I think it's hard. It's harder than it's ever been. I think to motivate this year because it's so strange. And like once you fall behind once, once you suffer one setback, I think it's especially if you're an upper echelon team like an LSU or a Penn State. Once you suffer that one setback and you're kind of out of it, it's hard to self motivate the rest of the way. Because like, what are you playing for? Especially this year, what are you playing for? Um, so I think some of that's at play. I do think like teams like Rutgers and Maryland, especially, have absolutely nothing to lose this year, and I and are kind of playing like it. They don't have, they don't have anything to lose most years, but it's especially true now. And, and I think they're playing like it. They're just playing hard, and that, that's that's a stark difference I think from some of the other teams we've seen struggle this year. Um, Indiana is the same. I think is being opportunistic. I don't think it's playing particularly well. Played well against Michigan, but it hasn't been a, a world beater through three weeks. Um, I, I'm not ready to anoint Indiana. Um, a, a significant challenger to Ohio State in, in two weeks when they come to Columbus, but it's certainly a game worth keeping in the back of your mind. But the, the thing that's happened for me over the last couple of weeks and, and really watching all year is that I feel like we came into the season, like so we're sort of with Clemson and Alabama, like up on this pedestal and we're wondering if Ohio State could meet them there. And I think we would might've had Clemson and Alabama a little too high and the reality might be that Ohio State is actually more on level footing with all of these teams, and it turns out they all have things you can nitpick or, or flaws, whatever that might be, on whatever side of the ball. And even though Ohio State's game against Rutgers was weird and can lead you down a path that's very concerning, I, in an odd way, almost feel better about Ohio State's ability to contend with those teams because things have gone so strangely this year. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a funny thing where – you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but the spread for the Ohio State Maryland game is 25, and in years I past, saw the 27. If, yeah, I mean it's falling in the other direction, I guess. And in any other year, Bill, an Ohio State Maryland matchup, you just ham- I mean, you expect them to win 61 to nothing, and six or 61 to 10 or something. And the fact that like a 25 point spread is a big spread, 
But if Ohio State wins 35-14, to 14, people are going to be like, what the hell? You know, and I don't know. Is Maryland's offense back? They've got, a, they've got baby Tua on their team. Yeah. And Rakeem Jarrett actually, like, caught a few touchdown passes against Penn State. And I uh, I just don't know. I'm confused. I, and it makes it entertaining. I think this more parody in the sport makes it more fun to watch. And I think that's part of the reason, too, Bill, that there's a lot of newcomers in the playoff discussion right now especially considering some of the the usual suspects like Oregon and Ohio State have only played one or three games and you've got teams like BYU beating the crap out of everybody and they're 7 or 8 no you got Cincinnati who looks like a world beater and you know I don't know that Cincinnati uh could beat Ohio State I I, I would never think that in a million years but in this season I don't know that Ohio State would want to play them I think Cincinnati yeah. <laughs> might be the best team that they would have to face if they had to face them and I'm just trying to kind of put Ohio State into the context of the rest of the country, but if you go down the list of all the other teams that we're comparing them to, Bill, all of them have also had major issues. Clemson has now lost. Alabama gave up 50 to Ole Miss. Florida and like Texas A&M is talking about backdooring the playoff potentially. I mean, there's a lot of different teams that are in the mix here. And yeah. right now when I watch Ohio State play, I have my concerns. I think that their running back position is a major, major concern. And major, I don't know. major, double major. Yeah, I, I, I am. I think it is worse than I thought it was going to be. I'm more concerned now. I don't remember what rating I gave it when we were making the position ratings going into the year. I think I said seven or something. I'm at a five. I was a five. I was like a. I think like I might a be a four. Then I'm. I'm not. I think it could cost them a football game if they're playing against Alabama. Because in, in those games, you got to pick up crucial first downs and you have to fight for extra yardage. And, you know, Trey Sermon, I don't think, is very explosive. And Master Teague has a hard time making people miss. And I think there's a nice, you know, combination of things that those guys can do. I'm not trying to come down on them. But, you know, to me, when I'm watching, and this is a whole other tangent, but I think I might be giving Steel Chambers a little bit more looks right now because uh, I've thought that he has looked, aside from putting the ball on the ground, pretty explosive in comparison to the other two so yeah but um, you can't put the ball on the ground like you can't fumble. yeah no you yeah, no twice. i understand i understand yeah so add that to the list you know so you know i don't want to go too off off the reservation here and i know that sometimes i'm a little bit more uh quick to judge things than maybe i should be and you know that's part of the reason why this this podcast is entertaining because you like to tell me i'm an asshole when i'm being one <laughs> but yeah i still think ohio state is up and above one of the top three teams in america I think it's weird that I'm going into the Maryland game on Saturday and I'm not necessarily sure how that's going to look or pan out. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that they would lose, but I don't know if they're going to cover that 24 points. Yeah. I think I mean, they might win like 55 to 31 and not cover. Yeah. And it's just like, why, and then the question is why is Maryland scoring 31? Is it because they're good enough to score 31 because of what they just did to Penn State? Or is it because Ohio State has deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, Ohio State definitely has deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's clear. Um, I don't think they're as drastic as they're being made out to be. I broke the defense down this way, and you can tell me if it's bullshit to do it, but I'm just curious what you think when I do it. So Rutgers moved the ball against Ohio State in a way we've never seen Rutgers move the ball before, and I understand why that in a vacuum is concerning. They ran four trick plays. They got 118 yards. They had an 82-yard drive on the last drive. 21-play, 82-yard drive on the last drive of the game against a bunch of backups. Like straight up playing Ohio State's offense and not running reverses and all that shit for three quarters, 
They averaged three yards a play, 173 yards on 50. Yeah, yeah, plays. yeah. No, I agree with you. So it's 35 like, to three at halftime. I mean, that's <laughs> when when they're playing the game and they were playing the game. It was 35 to three. So whatever happens in in grab ass time in the fourth quarter is never something that I anal, uh, um, analyze. I think people were concerned because it was something that happened on the uh, on the uh, week following what happened against Penn State where they gave up some points in the second half and times where there were starters on the field. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if those two things work in conjunction. Like I said, the, the Rutgers game doesn't make me view Ohio State any differently, but I think that what makes me view Ohio State differently is what's happening in the sport, mm-hmm. not what happened on the field on Saturday. Yeah. And it doesn't – you know, this is – if you look at Ohio State's schedule and knowing what we know about Michigan now, they don't have a team on that schedule that I think could beat them. But I also didn't think that 21-point favorite Penn State would lose by 28 to Maryland. So, like, I'm, I'm, it gives me trepidation of, like, what I think might not be what's happening here. Um, you know, and like you said, in, in the context of college football's best teams, I thought it was crazy that Georgia was an underdog or wasn't picked to win their side of the SEC and Florida was picked to win it and then Florida beat them every bit as bad as Alabama did and it's like now what is like you made this point what how does that make you feel about Alabama you know and if you you can do the transitive property thing here and the transitive thing doesn't really work in regular years and it certainly doesn't work this year everything is all over the place and it's fun and it's also very confusing yeah it's a little terrifying because it's a little it's it's as unpredictable I think as it's it's ever been Um, at least it feels that way maybe it's not maybe we're being dramatic but it feels that way um, just real quickly on your point about the running backs, Ohio State is converting 58% of its third downs, which is a little better than it did last year. Now, they haven't really played a great defense yet, and I don't know if they will. You know what would be a good analysis and something you'd probably like to sink your teeth into? I'd like to know how many of those third downs, if it's possible to go add it up, are converted through the air and on the ground. Because I bet you it is drastically higher through the air now than it was last year. I might be able to look that up on the fly, perhaps. Um I don't I don't dismiss running back concerns. I would push back on it being a, a double major concern. I, I might be able to get to one single major. Um they gotta figure they gotta figure out who their guy is, I think. And like I'm gonna I'll, I'll die on this hill, I don't care. Like there is room for Demario McCall to do something in this offense. Like they gave him two touches, he had thirty nine yards against Rutgers. He does a thing that no one else are handing the ball to does, and that's make people miss and he can threaten the perimeter. I'm not saying he needs to be your number one tailback, but I don't really see the purpose of just trotting out three guys who all do the same thing and are all just kind of average. And maybe Demario's average in the end too, but he's average in a different way. Um and I think he could help diversify the offense a little bit and make the running game just a little bit more explosive. And I'd like to see him get more get more opportunity, but he's not going to, so I'm not going to waste my time pontificating I th- about I it. Think it's, I think it's a concerning thing because I think, especially with Master Teague, who looks the best, I think we can agree that he probably looks the best out of all of them. Looks more comfortable, for sure. You know, yeah. But there have been multiple times where he's gotten to the second level of the defense and he – has room to make a 20 or 15 yard gain into potentially a touchdown or a 70 yard gain. And he seems very uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's just still trying to get comfortable with the Achilles injury that he suffered and, you know, getting back to a hundred percent, but he seems uncomfortable trying to make people miss. I don't know if he's incapable of that. I don't know if that's just not his style, but I think that he can take what's there, but I don't think he can take what's there and turn it into a 50 yard gain the way JK could. And when you're playing a team like Clemson or Alabama, you need home run plays. 
And I'm not, you know, you start throwing in these first round draft picks that aren't on Rutgers defensive line and these fast linebackers that are, are every bit as athletic as the skill position players. And this guy's not going to get anything, you know, and, and it's just it's the reality of the situation. And I don't know if Ohio State and the, the thing that I, I think is, is real is I think that Ohio State can uh, score on anybody without a running game. So maybe the concern is, is alleviated a little bit. I think if they just came out and threw the ball, I don't think anybody can cover them especially considering the fact that Garrett Wilson is every bit of what he's turned into what we thought he would turn into, and now we've seen it. Chris Olave can't be they, – nobody can cover these guys. So maybe that's enough to put up 41 points against Alabama, even without an explosive running game. But I would say that that is my number one concern, even more so than anything that you could point out on the defense right now, lack of, of home run threat out of the backfield. Especially, yeah. Bill, because we've watched Ohio State in the postseason before – and the, the the success that they've had in the playoff, even last year, though they didn't win against Clemson, J.K. was responsible for those things because of his ability to to turn these plays into you know big. What do you have like 200 yards rushing in the first quarter and a half? And then of course we were sitting next to each other for the Big Ten championship, 14 and two playoff wins, a national title win. Where Ezekiel Elliott just and I know that was line oriented, and but I don't know if you can win a national championship without a reliable, sustained threat at running back. I watched Travis Etienne run the football, and he only had 34 yards against Notre Dame, which add that into the bizarro world bag of college football in 2020. But, God, he's so good. Yeah, and Clemson still almost won because DJ Uyunglele yeah. threw so, four more yards than anyone's ever thrown against Notre Dame. So so do you think that's like Ohio State's recipe, though? So yeah, you're, yeah, you're I like, think you, it is. I disagree. I, saying. Uh, no, I disagree 100% that you need to be dynamic and lean on your running game to win a national championship. I think the game has changed. I would have believed you like six years ago, but I think it's totally different now. I don't uh, think you can be awful. Like, that's not you what need I'm to saying. Be able- you agree with me that there is a, def- a major deficiency at running back. You just disagree with the fact that it could stop them from scoring. I don't I don't agree that it's a major deficiency. Um, I think it could be more efficient. I think as long as whoever's back there can get you four or five yards a carry, you're fine. They don't need J. Like it would be great if they had J.K. Dobbins. I would love to see J.K. Dobbins on this team. I don't think they need a J.K. Dobbins to win a national title or anything of the like. I will say that this passing attack is probably the best passing attack that I've ever seen, and I'm four or five weeks away from saying it's better than the 06 team. <laughs> and you know, I don't know if it's just because they're not playing competitive teams right now and. You know, it's not an insult to Troy Smith, but the way that Justin Fields is throwing the football is is something that we haven't seen covering this team together. And also, the receivers just are unbelievable. Yeah, and they're open and they catch the balls when they're there, when they're delivered. There's just a dynamic aspect to it. I just always have some trepidation of I don't know if balance is overrated in the current model of college football and the way the teams play. Maybe balance has always been underrated. I mean, overrated as long as you can do one thing really good. But, and I'm not comparing this to Mike Leach or the air raid, but once these teams can sit back and and watch you, you know, uh, once they can sit back and you can't hit them as hard as you need to hit them with the running attack, it's a lot easier to stop the passing game. And when you have grade A, Division I athletes that are going to be first-run NFL draft picks in your secondary, I think that moving the ball the way that Ohio State has moved it would be instrumentally harder incrementally it, harder obviously yeah. i'm not saying anything that's rocket science here if and the I don't team know. drops eight against ohio state ohio state's going to run the ball down their throat they're built differently it's not like you don't need jk dobbins if the team's going to drop eight you need an offensive line that can block three people and then get up to the second level which they have teams are people are not 
the running backs are not dynamic. They get what you block for. Master Teague's got decent long speed, but there's not really a home run hitter unless you can give Master Teague a 40-yard window to run untouched down the field. There's no lateral movement to speak of. But people are not giving enough credit to the idea that teams are very much selling out against Ohio State's run game and very much keying on the running back because there's zero threat of Justin Fields keeping and running the ball. Now, I don't disagree with that plan because they don't need him to run right now, but you have to factor that into any critique of the running game. Like You have to look at what's happening. There are seven guys in the box, and all of them are slanting toward the running back, and all of them are selling out against the running back. And unless Justin Fields is going to pull it and run, it's going to look like it's looked. Like, that's just the way it is. But I think Ohio State's fine with that now because there's no sense in, in exposing Justin Fields in that way when you're playing Rutgers and Nebraska and Maryland next week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I appreciate what you're saying. I do. I don't know that that's the reason I feel the way that I feel. I understand why people feel the way they feel because I, it doesn't look how it's looked here in the past. And when things don't look right, it's hard to wrap your mind around why they don't look right. And they've gotten in space. It's not just that they're getting stuff in the backfield or getting stuff. Like when they but get in the space, they look uncomfortable. Ever, but why would you, I don't know. Like if you had ever watched Master Teague play or bothered to go back and watch Trey Sermon play at Oklahoma, I don't know why you'd ever envision it being any differently than it's been. Like, that's Trey Sermon and Master Teague have never been guys that make people miss. Like, we knew this is what it was going to look like. Maybe Marcus Crowley can do that if he ever gets healthy, but like, this, what's happened is not surprising. So, I don't know why we're acting surprised or concerned now that we're seeing it play out on the field on Saturdays. It looks less explosive than I thought it would, it would look. And I don't know if that's just my being naive and thinking Ohio State will make it work because they've got athletes, or if that's just a, a lack of, you know, actual analysis of the way Master Teague ran the football. I think it's more of the former than the latter. I know what these guys are. I, it just seems to me that it, it, I don't know how to explain it without being rude. It just seems like they're uncomfortable. In, when in they the try eight. to move sideways, it's like you're turning an aircraft carrier. I get it. I know what you're looking at. Yeah. It takes forever. Yeah. And same thing with Steel Chambers. He ran that fake punt against Rutgers, and all he had to do was beat the returner, and like it took him a half an hour to move one step to his right, and he got tackled, and then he fumbled the ball. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Bill. I don't know. I, I just – I'm telling you, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll I, see. Again, I don't, I don't dismiss the notion of being concerned about the running game. I think it is far from the most concerning thing about this team through three games because I think the most concerning thing about this team through three games is their missed tackles and how plays are getting out of the back end sometimes. Because yeah. that, didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah, t- tell us what you were saying about Marcus Hooker. Marcus Hooker has six mixed tackles through three games. 
according to Pro Football Focus, and I'm actually surprised the number is that low because it feels like it should be a little more than that. Um, Jordan Fuller had six missed tackles through every game last year, all 14 games. And I did not expect whoever replaced him to be as good as he was at just like being an eraser on the back end of the defense. But what we've seen so far has not been good. Um, and that is very concerning to me because teams are going to score on you. Um, I think it's just the nature of college football now, and we see it even with the best defenses in the country. Like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I thought Georgia had one of the best college defenses I've ever seen, and I've since seen two teams hang 40-plus points on them. Um, And it's going to happen to Ohio State's defense when they play a a dynamic offense. Um, But you have to be able to make teams march and earn it, and the way you do that is when someone gets 12 yards, you make sure it's only 12 yards and not 32 yards or 82 yards. And that's not happened to Ohio State yet, maybe like once or twice, but you can kind of see it coming with the way they're tackling on the back end of the defense. In some cases, I think there's a lack of physicality, and in other cases, I think there is too much of a want to blow up a play instead of wrapping up. And their tackling was so good last year, and I still think the linebackers are tackling pretty well this year, but the back end of the defense I don't think is tackling well at all, and that is very concerning to me. Yeah. I don't know if this is short-sighted of me, but I feel like learning how to tackle or being more efficient tacklers in a year where they didn't get as much practice time as they otherwise would have is a correctable issue. Yeah, it might be. It might be. I, I, I remember talking – I talked with Marcus Hooker's – I talked with Marcus Hooker's high school coach when we basically learned that like, Marcus was going to be the starting free safety, and Matt Barnes said – Marcus is like a true center fielder in every sense of the word. And then I talked to Marcus's high school coach, and he's like, I was surprised to hear that because when Marcus was in high school, we had to move him from safety to linebacker because he was trying to do too much as a safety. So we just put him closer to the ball so that if we went to blow people up, it didn't result in a long gain. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, I think, with what the coaching staff was seeing and what Marcus Hooker actually is. Um, it's not that I think he's a bad player. I just think he might be too aggressive to play in that spot. Um And I don't know, like we saw Josh Proctor do a little bit of it against Clemson, and it didn't look great. Um, And we have not seen him do much of that center field role to this point this year. But I would like to see it because I want to see if he can do more of what Jordan Fuller did last year because I'm fairly certain at this point that Marcus Hooker can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is kind of surprising, too, based on what we thought Proctor was going to be this year, that it's, it's mapped out this way. Well, Proctor's played well, like, and what they're asking him to do, like, he's he's a cover safety. He's playing playing slot corner. He's playing that bullet, whatever you want to call it. I, I think he's actually played really well with everything they've. He covered Pat Fryermuth, I thought, pretty well against Penn State or two weeks ago. Um, it's just he's not really playing center field when he's deep. There's typically another guy deep with him. Um, so maybe that means that they've not seen it from him in practice either. So they're not comfortable putting him there, but. If you're not comfortable putting Josh Proctor there, and this is what Marcus Hooker is, then that be- that becomes an issue. That to me is the biggest issue on the team. If that if this persists, I guess it's always fair to to pump your brakes a little bit, and if you're going to make the biggest concern of your team on this team statement, maybe go to the side of the ball that actually had real concerns going into the season. Because I do think that Ohio State can score 40, 45, 50 against anybody in the country, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If that's one of those things where it's like, well, boy, was I wrong when they finally got onto the same field as a as an Alabama. I guess there's only one way to find out about that. But to me, I think that 
the things that you're talking about and discussing on the defensive side of the ball seem correctable, and I think the running back thing is just is what it is. I think and that's I think fair. That, and I think, I think that like it, if it's a correctable thing, week three with a bunch of um, cupcake games coming up, like I trust the coaching staff and Kerry Combs to kind of outline those things out, put people in better position, and you know do the drills that I don't know that there's anything that you can do to teach the running backs to be anything other than what they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the running backs can – Trey Sermon is – like, Master Teague I thought was hesitant in the first game. I have not really sensed that from him since then. But Trey Sermon – and he got hurt against Rutgers on his last carry, and that's worth monitoring, and we don't know what his status is yet. It looked um, like he banged his head on the turf. It was weird, yeah. it was like I, I thought he, like, got bent awkwardly and hurt his leg, but then he was holding his head. So I, I, he must have hit his head off the turf or something. Um, but he didn't come back. The game was basically over at that point. But if he can't go, then that's something to monitor. But even even before that, he's not looked totally – even on that run, he didn't look comfortable. Like, he still looks hesitant. Um, and I like that that showed up when you watched him at Oklahoma. Like, everyone was like, oh, he's as patient as Le'Veon Bell. Like, I don't think that's the case. I think it takes him that long to figure out what he's looking at. That's not Le'Veon Bell patience. That's, like, a lack of – Anticipation. Le'Veon Bell, patience. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell patience is one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened in the yeah, running like back s- position. Running like <laughs> s- walking slow in the backfield doesn't make you Le'Veon Bell if you're walking slow in the backfield because you and don't know you where you're dropped. looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, pretty not crazy. The, not, the, not the rag of the guy, but yeah. it's like, I don't know. He was getting pumped up, and I, I, it's possible I'm guilty of this. He was getting pumped up to be something that he isn't. It's, it's not that he can't be a sort of run-of-the-mill sometimes productive back for Ohio State, but like he was never going to be the, the savior to the rushing attack that I think he was built to be. But what's his upside there. to you? Because, like, you know, players get better. I Is think he Mike upside, Weber? No, he's not, no he's, not, he's not as fast as Mike Weber. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, think he, I think if you can give him a clear lane, he can bounce a run outside and be okay, and he, he's got a little wiggle to him. Um, and he's got good hands. I think he's pretty good in the pass game. And I think more and more you might see the running back starting to get involved in the pass game a little more if only to threaten the perimeter because they can't do it when they run the ball. Um, so I think he can give you a little something there. But, man, like but downhill between the tackles, I just I don't, I don't think he sees it. I don't think he feels it. And, and yeah. I, just, I can't expect him to be productive doing that. Yep. Man. So, yeah. So, anyway. Not I don't know that we – I don't know if we said this. really good. Yeah, Justin Fields is really good, but I don't know if we said this, Bill, because we have to record a Google promo first, and I can't remember if we said it on this podcast or if we said it on that one. But um, coming out of the Rutgers game, are you more, less, or the same confident in Ohio State's ability to win it all? The same. Because Justin Fields like keeps wowing me every week. Yeah. So whatever whatever I might lose looking at the defense, um, he makes up for it when he's throwing – 95 mile an hour fastballs 30 yards down the field between two defenders to Chris Olave. Get him out of the game. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So, who asked? Oh, Tony, Tony Gerdeman asked, uh, asked Justin Fields after the game. He's like, Justin, did you expect to be playing that late? And yeah. Justin's like, no. No. <laughs> I get it. Like, so. mathem- I know that, I'm sure there's like a mathematical, uh, equation that they have on their, on their board that says if you're up by X amount at a certain time, keep the starters in and I understand that we've talked about getting Fields his stats and putting him in a position to have his his moment and potentially win the Heisman but god I just I maybe I'm just oversensitive about that and 
you know, I don't know, maybe it's from, you know, years of getting backdoored and gambling and knowing what happens in the, in the end of fourth <laughs> quarters. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. But if the game, they, they, they had no chance of losing, he had five touchdowns, get his ass out of the game. I mean, I, I just, yeah. That's that's your that's your national championship. That's walking on two legs right now. <laughs> yep. Second that that goes, the entire. So you know, I know I, I, Ryan Day. And here's the thing I will say: he looked more frustrated on the sideline from all the bullcrap that was happening in that game than I think he ever had. Yeah, I was Maybe trying to Clemson monitor game? some. I was trying to monitor some of that. Like we're we're behind Ohio State sideline, so you can't really yeah. see it. So I was trying to like catch a glimpse on the TV every now and then, but I. I fully expected him to come into the post-game press conference like pretty pissed off, and he was not at all. Like he and I, I understand that how he is with us can be very different from how he is in the locker room, but you would expect even if he was pissed off in the locker room that he would bring some of that to the podium with him, and he didn't bring any of it. He didn't dismiss any of the issues, but I thought it was a very sort of interesting character study, and it almost gave me a little more confidence that they were going to get things figured out or like, or like he knew that they had issues, but he also felt strongly that they could get it figured out. And like, it wasn't the end of the world. Like some people were reacting to it. I think if you're one of the people who is overreacting to, or not, or just even reacting to what happened and you feel different, because I see your, your, your replies and I get the replies too. And, why does it feel like they lost and all those types of messages? And it's like, if it feels like they lost to you, then, like, I mean, get a hobby. It's because you uh, bet the wrong side of the game. It's not my fault. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just <laughs> – it's a sport, and, you know, it's not going to be 55 to nothing every week. And that's that. I, 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 I'm very interested in how people from one week to the next go from this is the best team ever to I'm concerned or they suck or why does it feel – it's a sport, and every game looks different. Things happen. Turnovers happen. Weird calls happen they weren't prepared for. I didn't see – I don't know that I've ever seen a punt return where it got – by the way, those passes on the kick return and punt returns were like dimes. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how these people throw the ball that efficiently while running. It was it's pretty so, impressive. Was I also impressive. feel like it's such a high-risk thing. Throwing like the ball the, 53 yards across yeah, the field. Yeah, throwing the ball 40 <laughs> yards across the field on a kickoff return that if it's dropped is a live football seems like a lot of risk for not that much of a reward because maybe one out of every 50 times that happens, they score. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Like. Yeah. And it worked, and they did some things that caught Ohio State off guard. And trick plays might be the, the anecdote on how to compete with Ohio State in, but if you're one of these overmatched teams, but I don't know, man. I thought it was just a weird game. It was very strange. It was very. It was. It was strange to the point where, like, I, I guess my overall feeling of it is like, don't don't take too much away from it because it was very weird. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it makes next week's game more interesting. I think you want to see Ohio State go back to Maryland for the first time since the worst game I've ever seen in my life, and yeah, and and do something. You know, maybe you want to see them. I mean, I don't understand how Maryland could lose by forty to Northwestern and then beat Penn State by twenty eight. Doesn't in no world and no paradox does that make any sense. Talia Tungavailo was playing very well, and they've always had skill guys. I was talking with uh, Jerry Emick, the Ohio State SID, in the press box on Saturday night, and I said, like, Maryland's always had skill. They, they never have lines, and they really never have a quarterback. Now they have a quarterback, it looks like. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. I don't think Maryland's going to be able to stop Ohio State at all, um, but I do think Maryland's going to score. I think whatever whatever the over is, I would bet the over. I think it's like 70, 70 and a half. 
I just I didn't see the over yet, but I always was thinking to myself while watching the Rutgers in game after the marathon. I was like, I don't know what the over is, but hit it. And they they made a number out there that they made it seventy to make you think twice about it. But I don't know. Maybe Ohio State will turn around and just win fifty five to ten like they usually do, and it'll feel normal again. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they did not hit fifty. My project my project prediction of Ohio State averaging fifty points per game is is in jeopardy. Um, but I think they can make it up next week against Maryland and put like sixty something up. Yeah, against that team. Yeah, maybe the here's the thing. Ryan Day is instructing his defense to let up plays so that he can keep Justin Fields in the game longer to win him Heisman. <laughs> I that's that the strategy. But they also um, that fake punt. The fake punt was good. Do you think that he hands. that weird sequence where they ran it and third and eight on like the opposing forty five and then got one yard and then punted from the forty? Was a advanced setup for the next time they punted. Uh, that that was such a strange sequence to me. That would help rationalize it a little bit. It was odd. Like they changed the play, whatever they had called, they changed it based off whatever look they were getting. Um, I don't know what they saw or what they thought they could check through. Maybe they thought they were going to catch them in a a blitz and and run it through them and get the first down. Um, But like checking, I think it was an inside run with Trey Sermon. Uh, that's not that's not anything I'll ever check into. So that was weird. That was strange. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, when they handed it to Trey Sermon after the check, even I thought, you know, he's told you can check into this, try to pick up five if you see a hole there, and we're going for it because that's kind of like the run it then go for it on a more manageable fourth down than it is a, a run it and punt from there. I thought that was maybe one of the that was the calls. idea, but maybe that was the idea. But then they only got one yard. Like if he would have gotten three or four there, they would have gone for it. Yeah. Because it yeah. was fourth and it was fourth and eight, I think. From it was the fourth 39. and eight, and then he got one. It was and then or fourth and eight, yeah. So, like punting on fourth and eight is not odd, but I don't know if that might have. It been. It is from the forty. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to go back and look. I I I think maybe they punted from the plus side of the fifty against Clemson last year, but that might have been the only other time Ryan Day's done it since he's been head coach. I think you should be fined ten thousand dollars if you're a head coach who punt. Punts <laughs> on plus territory unless it's fourth down and thirty or fourth and goal from the forty-one, which happened in a Big Ten game this week. <laughs> the other decision that was weird was like, like knowing what we know now and how deep in the bag of trick plays that Greg Schiano was willing to go to like try to keep the game close. The fact that he kicked the field goal in the beginning of the game like makes no sense. Yeah, why aren't you trying to score? Yeah, you're comfortable. You're comfortable throwing the ball fifty-three you have yards a trick the play. of the field on kick returns. <laughs> you should have a trick play from inside the ten, right? The lack yeah. of ability to have a per, the perfect two point play in every is like the most mind boggling thing about every coach in America. Well, yeah, he, well, he like, went, They had all those trick plays, and they went zero for four on two point conversions. Yeah, it's like the trick they play, and I don't pass. know if like the Boise State Oklahoma game from like fifty years ago is the reason why we all like romanticize these awesome two point conversion plays. But I feel like if I were a coach, I'd have like three or four in the bag that are just like if we ever have to go for two. We've practiced these so many times that it would just be, it would just be second nature that you know what the call is, you know what you're doing, you send the team out and you go execute it. Yeah, they tried a they tried a jump pass and Josh Proctor intercepted it, and they also tried like that jet sweep kind of double pass and almost completed it, and it was like a kind of a bad throw. So I think they did have some of those things. They just their execution um, on trick plays was not as good on two point conversions as it was in the game as a whole. Yeah. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Um, let's talk about something that I think will make Ohio State fans happy. What the hell's going on in Michigan? I don't know the thing I've been ranting about for two years. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is different. This no, is, I know. This is get like manhandled, not in the score, but just in the way the game looked by your. No, they got the second. No, no, I'm talking about the Michigan State game, your second oh. biggest rival, and then you come back the following weekend. Like, what is a pretty big game for both teams against Indiana, and like just get like you said, get your ass kicked by an okay Indiana team. Like Indiana's not great. Top 10 team, man. Top 10 Deanna. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, and I know that there's a difference between being in that weird purgatory of 9 or 10 and 3 and not elite but also pretty good, and then now having a dumpster fire season because that's not something that they've experienced there yet. And I think that once you start having a dumpster fire season, the perspectives of everything kind of shifts pretty quickly and dramatically. But the thing that I've – that kind of like is weird to me is bill why is the dumpster fire season the thing that is making them realize it wasn't working when it is so abundantly clear the last two years that it wasn't working to begin with yeah, is that like proof that they've completely and utterly accepted that they're going to just be above average it might be it might like it's it's weird you have two programs in the big tennis like penn state and michigan that are, that are not in, in a great place right now but penn state I'm willing to to dismiss some of what's happening at Penn State as like weird COVID year, even though their recruiting has taken a downturn too, and the long term projections aren't great. Like what's happening now, I don't think is, um, in, indicative of of a long term issue that's been like boiling there for a while. Um, Michigan very much feels like that, so I don't know why it's taken this to bring that to light. And even I've pushed back a little bit on the idea of like they're going to get rid of Harbaugh. But now I kind of think they're going to get rid of Harbaugh. Like this is this is. Well, he has another year on his contract, right? So do you mean like through the? Do you think he'll be the head coach next year? 
If they don't lose again, maybe. I think he can They're save his lose job again. for sure. I think he can save his job for sure if they beat Ohio State, which isn't going to happen. Um, so they're one and two, right? They're going to play Ohio State. That's three losses. Like their best case scenario is six and three if you include that weekend game. I think that's pro- that's that's enough for him to keep his job for sure. Um, but I have a hard time seeing him after coaching there after his contract's up. If Ohio State puts 75 points on them, which I think they might try, I mean, I guess that's just more of the same that they're already living with. They know they're going to lose to Ohio State by 100, and it's just like accepted now. But, A, here's the the thing, Bill. It's twofold. What the fans want and what Ward Manuel and the administration at Michigan want are two fairly very different things. So as much as it's bang the drum, get rid of Harbaugh now, I don't think Harbaugh wants to leave. And if he does, he's getting paid ten million dollars a year to be average. And I think he loves <laughs> again things I've been screaming about for years. And then two, the administration didn't even want to play this year, so I don't know if they're going to be so excited about paying him whatever they have to pay him to get him out, especially if he is one of theirs and all the other Michigan stuff that they always say. Mm-hmm. So I personally, unless something else goes wrong, and maybe it will, it seems like Michigan's kind of spiraling out of control my guess right now gun to my head is that he is back next year for one final year if it doesn't go well then maybe after next year when his contract's up and then you split split amicably but here's the thing he's a weird guy he's just a weird guy which is fine but he's weird Mm. he's made questionable assistant hires he has lost consistently in big games he has no identifiable recruiting strategy. Not only ex- not executing, but he has no recruiting strategy. And it's just generally odd covering him. And people are able to poke at that a lot easier. And I think the reason why everybody pokes at him is because he is odd. And doesn't like the media and doesn't talk to the media. And I think that's part of the reason, too, that a lot of media members are quick to, to poke him a little bit. I poke him because I don't think he's done nearly as good of a job as I think that they're capable of. And this is history that we've had over and over and over again. But now that they're having a bad season, I hope that it starts to open up the eyes of everybody else of like what is going on in terms of the recruiting and all the stuff that was existing a year ago. And I think the number one thing here, Bill, has always been for Michigan people, well, fine, if we get rid of him, then who do we get? So I want to welcome you to Ari's game show. <laughs> Would you rather the the game I am born to host? And I'm going to list off 10 names that I came up with yesterday morning when I watched the first quarter of the Indiana game and I wanted to get froggy. And this is very little research and this is all me just sitting there on my couch and my shirt may or may not have been on. Okay? <laughs> and in the world of You can't get rid of Jim Harbaugh because you don't think you can do better elsewhere. Let's play 10 rounds of Would You Rather. Let's do it. Would you rather have Jim Harbaugh or this coach from this point forward who would make it better? Okay? Okay. Yep. Number one, Brett Venables. Uh, Brett Venables has never been a head coach, uh, but is clearly a very good coach. And is a good recruiter. And 
and I think would be a pretty good like culture builder and have a plan and be detailed and be organized. So I'd rather have Brett Venables. Two. Luke Fickle. 100% rather have Luke Fickle. Okay. And again, this isn't about whether it's rational or whether they will have them. It's just to prove a point that I'll make when we're done here. Okay. Three, Matt Campbell. I am not a huge Matt Campbell guy, so I could maybe go either way with that. Um, I do think Matt Campbell better understands what it takes to recruit the Midwest, so I guess I'd give him... I give him the nod for that, but I also he also think has that, punched up more than Jim yeah ever has, which is a yeah he has thing. he has that's true that's true. Um, they both lose games that are annoying, but one wins games they shouldn't. I'm not trying to influence you. I'm just trying to bring no. Some I think it's a good point, I but I, but I'm also trying to I'm also trying to consider like whether or not Michigan should take that into consideration, or whether or not Michigan aims to be the team on top that's punching down at everybody. Um, and I don't know, like, if, I don't, well, I don't in know order for them Campbell, to accomplish what they need to accomplish, they have to punch up. I don't know if Matt Campbell is a guy I want running a program that I have national championship expectations for. Okay, so Harbaugh. Um, no, I think I'll still go with Campbell because of the recruiting piece. <laughs> okay, but I don't think that's and he's an Ohio guy, which I think matters too. That one's not cut and dry for me, but I okay. Campbell. Here's another one. Ready, number four, Jeff Halfley. It's an interesting one. Um, Probably, I'll take Halfley's upside, I guess. Um, he's, like, been anointed a, a guy because he's good with the media, and that happens all the time. Like, doesn't guarantee success at all. But he's done a pretty nice job there um, at BC in his first year. Did a good job mining the transfer portal to get Phil Dracovic and, and up his team's ceiling a little bit. Um, I think he was at Ohio State long enough to f- get a feel for what it takes to, to kind of compete on that level. Um but I also like don't think he's Vince Lombardi already like a lot of other people do. But I th- would still take him over Harbaugh. Yeah, I uh, think he's a young, good-looking, charismatic, cool guy to be around, which is important. Yeah. Even though saying good-looking is weird, it, it's just you know part of the image of what people are. Co- I mean, it's it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Two, he has clearly identified an ability to find talent, develop that talent, even in a very small window at Ohio State. But he, he did land some really good players, can recruit, can go into anybody's living room, and seems like a functional coach from that standpoint. Three, he's got enough aura of Ohio State about him where it's interesting, but also he isn't loyal to Ohio State because he was only there for eight months. So you can still play it up for the rivalry, but you also aren't putting him in the Luke Fickle position of can he live with himself every day if he's coaching at Michigan. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Jeff Halfley would hesitate to take that job if it was offered to him. Right. Plus, he can keep the Massachusetts pipeline going. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so we're through four now. Ready? They're going to get. Bu- Did you see the tweet, or am I surprising you? I saw the tweet, but I honestly can't remember who else was on it after after that. Okay, because they start getting kind of bumpy here. So okay, okay. okay. Five Bob Stoops. Harbaugh. Yeah. Okay. Six Mark Stoops. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, the thing I don't know, like, Mark Stoops does a really good job of recruiting Ohio at Kentucky. I think it's different trying to do that for Michigan. 
because like Ohio State has kicked Michigan's ass so regularly and so very publicly that I just don't know like if I'm a four-star prospect in Ohio who's not going to go to Ohio State, I'd rather go to Kentucky than Michigan because I don't want to get my face beat in by Ohio State at the end of every year. Um, and I don't know, like I don't know if what Mark Stoops is doing at Kentucky is replicable at Michigan. Here's my take. You want it while well, you're you're pondering? Yeah, he would try to recruit Ohio. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's enough. Okay, that's enough, Mark Stoops. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, seven. PJ Fleck. Uh. Love that. I don't silence. know. If, I don't. I don't know if row the boat works at Michigan. They've had a lot of shtick are there already. Yeah, that's true. They've had shtick there already, which could be a negative. I'm not saying that like they can I deal don't with know more enough. Than I, you you know more about like Fleck the recruiter than I do. Is he is he is he a guy you think he, who could get it done recruiting wise at, at Michigan? I mean, they're about to sign the best class in the history of Minnesota football. Are they okay? Um, and he has yeah. to kind of do it in a national way because there's no talent in Minnesota. Yeah, I think the other thing that's at play here too is if when you're competing against Ohio State, like you can't be afraid of Ohio State, and I think Michigan is afraid of Ohio State to yeah. some extent. Maybe that's saying it too strongly, but. Um, they wilt, I think, kind of quickly against Ohio State. At least they have the last couple of years. Um, I don't think flex teams would do that. He also was at Western Michigan, so he spent time in the state and knows coaches there. Yeah, yeah, he's got the he's got the Midwest roots for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't like flex shtick, but I think I would take it over Harbaugh. Har- I've spoken point. to him multiple times, and I will say it's not shtick; it's who he is. No, I know. I talked to him once too, like right after he yeah. got hired about recruiting Ohio. Um, it's legit. Let's yeah, you're right. I think that's that's fair to say. It's not shtick. It's who he is. Um, it's a little off putting, but not off putting enough that I wouldn't rather have him over. But Harbaugh. some people don't like him, and some people love him. But yep. when you love him, you love him. Yep. And guess what? It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I'll take I'll take uh, Fleck. I'll row the boat. Okay. Eight. Chris Peterson. I think they're like I think you're picking between two kind of similar things there. Peterson's not a weirdo, um, but I think he would like run his program very much the same way. Be a little more organized, but um, Peterson like let Washington, the state of Washington, recruiting get away from him a little bit. So I wouldn't have much faith in his ability to recruit the way he needed to recruit at Michigan. So Harbaugh. Yeah. Okay. Number nine, Jason Candle. I don't know enough about Candle. Um, He's kind of like uh, Matt Campbell light. Yeah, he took over for Campbell at Toledo, right? Um, yeah, but also is at the place that is on the border of the states that he needs to recruit and kind of is in like – I don't know if it really matters much because he's in the MAC, but he also is like in the same atmosphere uh, of where that rivalry kind of manifests. Yeah, I think I would take Harbaugh, but that's mostly born out of ignorance about Candle. Okay. And then the last one is Mel Tucker. That was a funny one. I do remember that one from your tweet. Yeah. Uh, and people got up mad at me. And if you get mad at me, I'll explain myself. Tucker knows what it takes to build a nationally competitive program. He has enough experience in his assistant coaching background to do that. Um, what else has he done in his he- coaching background as an assistant? What do you mean? Uh, 
he was an assistant for Trestle, and he recruited the shit out of Cleveland and won a national championship. No, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's got Ohio State. He's got Alabama in his background. Like yep. he's got he's got everything you want. Like on a in terms of of a, of a from a pure recruiting standpoint, and I get that that's what you should take into consideration more than anything. I'd rather have Tucker. Like game day acumen, putting a staff together, that kind of stuff. I think very much remains to be seen. Um, so I'm not going to say he's better than Harbaugh in that regard because I don't think it's possible for you to say that. Because he wasn't very like his Colorado tenure was whatever it was one year but it was fine, um, but he can recruit so I'd take Tucker. Yeah, he and would he not beat Tucker him head to head. Tucker would not back down from recruiting battles against Ohio State. Agreed. I don't, I'm not saying he would win, but he would try. Yeah, I think trying is, is like a a main main point of emphasis here. Okay, maybe none of those are the ideal candidate. I was listening to Doug. And Buckeye talk, and they and he, Doug's big thing is Pat Fitzgerald back up the Brinks truck for him. And I thought it was I an interesting take. I don't know. He knows more about Fitzgerald and you know Northwestern than I do. I, it seems kind of you know out there a little bit, but also makes a lot of sense when he explains it in his Doug type of way. I didn't put it on my list out of respect for him, but the point that I'm trying to make is in a world where. The number one thing to rationalize keeping Harbaugh is, well, who are we going to get? I think that's stupid. There's always somebody. There's coordinators. Yeah. There's people with the right backgrounds. There's a lot of people out there that could make a rational decision about – make it a rational decision. And it's not, a, it's not that it's not a risk. It's absolutely a risk. What I think the point is, Bill – that we're at the point of we know what Harbaugh is now. So, are you afraid of taking the risk because you don't want to sacrifice not beating Ohio State and being within 30 points most years? Or are you not taking that risk because you're so afraid that the one mistake that they made by not hiring a Michigan man and Rich Rodriguez is going to repeat itself? And I made this tweet today or on Saturday, and you kind of texted me a little bit about how you thought it was too much, but let me explain it to you. I don't think Michigan needs a Michigan man, is what I wrote. Michigan needs an Ohio State or an Ohio man. And they need to turn him into a Michigan man. I can get behind Michigan State needs an Ohio, or Michigan needs an Ohio man. Michigan needs an Ohio State man. It's just uh, a little too go bucksy for me. <laughs> Did I write Ohio State fan a man or Ohio man in my tweet? I think you wrote Ohio State man, didn't you? If you did not, then I apologize, but that's what I thought you wrote. Let me go. Let me go. I mean, it doesn't matter. I still think an Ohio State man would be great for him if they could find somebody. A person that has coached. I just don't know who it is. Yeah, because like, look, like again, I think Luke Fickle is like the home run hire there. I just can't ever imagine him taking that job. Yeah, I don't know that he would either. But my point is too is that if you tick seven out of ten that you would take right now, you got to get somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can play the list of well, Bob Stoops wouldn't come out of retirement, or Mark Stoops is the best job in America because he was at Kentucky and he makes them millions of dollars a year to win six games and he never has to worry about his job security. Like there's a lot of different One reasons. One million why, per win. It's great. There's a lot of reasons why these guys might not want to take them, but collectively with the amount of money and resources that Michigan has, they can get somebody. And the yeah, point is, is that can, I think that, it's that, that it's attractive as hell, yeah. It's time to stop living in the in in fear of taking a risk and ruining and, and going back to the Brady Hoke era. And it's time to actually use your money and resources and maybe athletic acumen and hire somebody that's going to be better. You know, scared money doesn't make any money. Why are we so scared? Right. And a, a lot of people are like always talking about 
how Michigan was the home run hire when they got Jim Harbaugh. I don't think that Michigan needs to find their urban. I think that Jim Harbaugh was their urban, and he did a good job of bridging the gap from terrible results from the Brady Hoke era into turning it into the nine-win team that they are now. But I don't think they need their urban. I think they just need to find a guy that gets it, that has a functional recruiting plan, is charismatic, can recruit his ass off, and can win games. And I know it sounds a little bit like, oh, is that all he has to do? I know. There are plenty of coaches that could... Let me just say this. There are plenty of coaches in America that could be to, could make Michigan what they are. Mm-hmm. It might be really, really hard to find a coach that can make Michigan great to beat Ohio State, but there's no risk in striving for that when the end result is probably going to be most people can make them a nine-win team who loses by 100 Ohio State every year. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that's the ceiling, then you can you can hire somebody else to duplicate that ceiling. Right, by, while simultaneously trying to take a swing to be something better. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and for eight and a half million or whatever he's getting paid a year, I think it's probably worth the, the risk. Not to mention that it can't be exciting or fun or even enjoyable to be an old Michigan fan right now. It's terrible. Everybody's making fun of them. Yeah, it's like the it's like the punching bag that everybody wants to swing at every week. It's like, and part of the reason why is because because Harbaugh is weird, and you know he's the only coach that loses bad games like this. And I still haven't heard a word from him in his news conference. Did he even speak to the media? I don't, like know. I, I, don't, I don't even. I don't seek out his press conferences because they're usually uninformative. I seek them out because I want to see if he'll actually say something, and I'm disappointed 100 percent of the time. Yeah, but come on, I mean, w- w- it seems like such a cut and dry decision. Why is it so freaking hard for them to fire him? Why is it any different than any other coach being fired everywhere? It happens every day. I don't. I think they're fair questions. I think, and I've been, I've been hesitant to kind of get to where you are. But I'm basically there now. I think this is this is uh, this feels untenable to me, um, and I'm like kind of curious to see if it totally unravels for him this year because I think that's possible. If you're capable of losing to Michigan State, you're capable of losing to anyone, um, and they're not in a great place, and they still have to play Penn State and Ohio State. But I know Penn State's not a great place either. But it's still a team with talent. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, if you want to do a quick pivot, I don't know if we're getting close to wrapping this thing up here, Bill. Yeah. We Penn are, but State we can quickly pivot. Bad shape too. Yeah, they got they have after Derek uh, Davis committed to LSU. I think we need to talk about that for a minute. Yeah, they've so what do they've missed the, the top ten players in the state in twenty one? Oh, and ten. Yeah, so that's bad. Players. That's bad. Um, two of them are going to Ohio State: McCord and Harrison. Yep. Um, I don't know where the others are going, but and I understand. Like, I don't think the Penn State should win every head to head recruiting battle with Ohio State. But assuming that Ohio State's not taking the top ten players out of Pennsylvania every year, like Penn State's got to get half of that top ten at least. Four, yeah, to get number to go one over. player in the state, Nolan Rucci, five star player, Wisconsin. Two five star quarterback, Kyle McCord, Ohio State. Three inside linebacker, Jeremiah Trotter, number thirty four overall player in the country, Clemson. Safety, Derek Davis uh, from the Pittsburgh area, committed on Saturday to LSU, number fifty three overall player. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., the fifth highest-rated player in Pennsylvania, number 115 overall to Ohio State. Number six, uh, Aaron Donald's nephew, I think. Mm-hmm. Elliot Donald from Pittsburgh is committed to play at Pitt. Number seven is the weak side defensive end, Elijah Judy, who is down to, it seems like, Texas A&M in Georgia. Um, Donovan McMillan is number eight. He's going to Florida. Mm-hmm. Safety out of Cannonsburg, PA. I don't know where that is. But... Eerie-ish. Eerie-ish, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, number nine, weak side defensive end, uh, Nakai Johnson out of 
Homestead, Pennsylvania, is going to pit. And number 10, your favorite city in the world, Philadelphia, Tysheen Johnson, top 290 overall player, is going to Mississippi. And all of the top 10 players in the state of Pennsylvania are top 300 players nationally, and they're all going somewhere else. And it's not like Ohio State and Penn State didn't try either. They lost. There is – so I think five of the 10 guys you named are from Philly. Um, the three St. Joe's prep guys, uh, Judy and the last guy, um, they are, there is a, there's a member where you still about like the Ohio state Cincinnati disconnect. And that's like not really ex- existing anymore. I think a similar thing exists between Penn state and Philadelphia. And that's always going to be hard. And that's a hurdle that James Franklin, who went to high school right outside of Philadelphia should have been able to clear by now. Um, that's an issue that they haven't. Because it does feel like more and more there's Division One players coming out of that city. Certainly, there were when I was growing up. Like we, there, I played football in the Philadelphia Catholic League. We didn't have Division One guys in the Philadelphia Catholic League or the Public League, and now there's probably three or four every year or every other year. Um, and he's not getting them, so he's got to get those guys, or he's got I, like it, if he's not getting those players, um, I'm not sure that they're recruiting well enough in other areas of the country to make up for it. So it's the thing issue. that always irks me, whether we're talking about Penn State or Michigan or any other team, when their fan base is mad that they lost a player, they come up with these excuses. Oh, there's this disconnect, or he was never going to go there. Or what? It's like, why can Ohio State get them? Like, if it's well, if it's Ohio okay, State's better. No, I understand, but it seems to me that there's always 900 excuses for home state teams losing out on players to Ohio State, and that they don't just. It doesn't just require a result in them saying Ohio State kicked their ass. And if somebody's kicking your ass, then that's a problem and it needs to be rectified. And right now, if you're looking at Penn State's class in the 2021 class, it is a, I don't know how I would describe it, but I think I would say utter disaster. Number 31 overall nationally. Yeah, that's not great for them. 14 commits. They've got one top 100 player, um, offensive tackle out of Maryland. Nice get. Everybody else is outside of the top 250. Yeah, London Tegwall, right? He's good. Yeah. I like him. Um, he's a good player. Yeah, yeah. But I think like to – I do think in the class 2022 in Pennsylvania, they're doing okay. They're off to a decent start. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to go up against Ohio State for Nick Singleton in that class. Um, I think there might be another player Ohio State's in on in that class. There, there is um, in the 2022 class, Penn State has uh, three commitments from the top eight players in the country, number four, number seven, number eight, and they are the crystal ball favorite to land Singleton out of Reading, Pennsylvania. Is it Reading or Reading? Reading. That's what I thought. I knew who that John was. Um, <laughs> did I say that right? No, please stop I, saying John. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining the word for everybody. Um, so maybe four out of the top eight, though, getting back on topic here. Um, you know, that's what it should look like right now. I also know that it's really early. And if we're talking about top 100 players, flips happen all the time, big commitments happen all the time. I don't know. I, I try not to get too high or too low about 2020, the, the class that ha- the, the, that's a year ahead before this one signs. Mm-hmm. I think that it's always just like, Looks like it's off to a great start. And the reason why we you know Ohio State's twenty-two classes off to a great start too. We don't talk about it much because once things start coming into focus, I think it makes more sense contextually. Right now, Penn State 
lost by 28 to Maryland on the same day that they're signing a top 40 class with no Pennsylvanians in it. Yeah, and it's like, what's the point? Where what's the point of discussing this on Ohio State podcast? It's like oh, Penn State and Michigan are slipping a little bit, and Ohio State is very much not. <laughs> and it's like the gap already existed. It is it is widening, and could be widening in a very significant way. Um, yeah, this is an Ohio State podcast, <laughs> but we're talking about recruiting, and Ohio State is taking those players. So when right. we talk about Penn State's inability to recruit Philadelphia, it's like, oh well, the two best players in Philadelphia are going to Ohio State. If and Michigan, technical and, one of those from New Jersey, but it's fine. <laughs> like you, like where you grew up was in New Jersey. <laughs> right. um, no, I grew up very close to uh, Four Seasons Landscaping. <laughs> we don't get political on this podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. But, uh, I mean, honestly, okay. I don't know anything about politics. All I know is that I don't care who you are. That shit's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. And the neighboring businesses is even funnier than I the wish. Mistake. You know what else is there besides Fantasy Island Adult Bookstore? There's a crematorium where they burn bodies and a place that sells uh, headstones for graveyards. What, are you familiar with the area? It's literally five blocks from my house where I grew up. So, like, like, have you heard of that business before? No, but that's my neighborhood. Oh. I know Fantasy Island because you come off ninety five exit, the I ninety five exit to go to my house. You drive past those places, but it's like it's not. I you ever been there? When I I tweeted that <laughs> thing about no no, but I tweeted that thing about them being four blocks away from where I hit my first home run. Like that's true. That's like I I, I didn't see that tweet from a ferry C, and that's where we played four blocks from there. And my house was another two or three blocks up from from those places. Yeah, that's very yeah. much my neighborhood. Yeah, hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, hilarious times. Well, you're a Philly guy. Wawa. Nuggets for Shout the Shout out to Wawa. Going to Wawa this weekend when I go out to Maryland. Can't wait. Yeah, enjoy yourself. Maybe send me a snap of some of the pretzels. or the. Are you going to get a hoagie? Get a hoagie, get a pretzel, get some Wawa iced tea. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be saying water instead of water because that's what happens when I go to Philadelphia for a day. I don't know if it's just because I'm enamored with Wawa, but you know how they make the pre-made hot dogs? Yeah. And they put them in the plastic and then they put them in the thing? Mm-hmm. Those are legit. I don't eat those, but I'm not a big hot dog guy. Okay, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, slate anybody for doing it. I'm just okay. not a huge hot dog guy. Oh, All right, okay. we're uh, we're talking about stuff people don't care about. Let's wrap up. Well, this then they could have shut it off. Then if you're, I'm sure if you're still here, have. we appreciate it. I mean, they probably did. If yeah, if you're hanging out with us, thank you very much. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna end this now. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Four to Six with A and B. If you like what you hear, we would appreciate it if you can go to Apple and leave us a five star review. Uh, for future episodes when we do mailbag questions, you can subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6, get you signed up, and gives you the ability to ask us questions there, or you can leave a question with an Apple five-star review. Ohio State plays Maryland next Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more about that game maybe later on in the week, figure out some other stuff to talk about. Maybe we'll do some more recruiting talk. We haven't done that in a while, um, and it's kind of a weird part in Ohio State schedule. But thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll talk to you guys later in the week. Mm-hmm.